Our sermon series for this month is Goodwill Towards Men, understanding the heart of God towards mankind, that his heart in Jesus Christ, his eternal plan, which he accomplished in Christ, has never changed. This was the eternal purpose of God before he ever started creating anything, and it is the eternal purpose of God long after you were born and whatever has happened in your life, the eternal purpose of God stands. And every blessing and every kindness that ever was focused towards anybody is focused on you in Jesus Christ. I wanna start today by giving us an understanding of a big picture in our walk with God, and then hopefully taking us through a particular aspect of an administration, uh, which I think will make a big difference in the way we experience that love of God. And so I wanna start by watching Jesus, and I wanna take you to the beginning of his ministry, and let's look at something that happened, because it's, it's interesting and profound, and it nags at me, this idea. Luke 3 when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Jesus then goes for 40 days temptation in the wilderness. He starts to preach in a few towns and the, the power demonstration of God is pretty astounding. Jesus is doing miracles. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. He's teaching as one that has authority. And Jesus, one of the very first desires of his heart, he wants to go back to Nazareth to his own hometown because he wants to bless them. He wants to do miracles. He wants to transform the city or the city is a generous word. About 400 people lived in Nazareth, Nazareth at the time of Jesus growing up. And so Jesus goes back there. Let me take you to Mark 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What is this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own home. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Get this picture, would you, in your head. This is Jesus, almighty God in human form. He has just been filled and endued with the Holy Spirit and power. He has a growing reputation. He's exploding healings and miracles everywhere he's going. And he goes to his own hometown and he's handed the scroll in that place. Uh, and Mark doesn't tell us that, but we know that from other passages. He turns the scroll. He doesn't take the reading that they, that, you know, they, start, they ended last week and you're supposed to pick it up. He finds the scroll in Isaiah. He finds the passage that said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He's anointed me. To, to Basically, it's the declaration of jubilee, emancipation and freedom and break out of all debt, destruction of all change, healings of all bodies. It is the passage in Isaiah of the jubilee of God. Jesus turns the scroll, gets there, reads it out and says, today, today, But they are so filled with cynicism and unbelief. They take a posture towards him that's offensive. 
Like, who do you think you are? You're doing all these fancy, come on, miracle boy. You're doing all these miracles. Who do you think you are? You're just a little carpenter. I changed your diaper. Filled with unbelief and cynicism, and when he presses them, they get angry to the point where they try to throw him off the cliff outside of the town. And Jesus walks away from among them. <laughs> Jesus could not do many miracles there. Just a few healings. Certainly not everything that he planned to do or was in his heart to do among them. See, this story picks at me and worries me because uh, you know, my, my theology says, well, he is God. He could override their responses. He could enforce his will. He could make them receive miracles. Do you, have a theo- Do you have a theology like that? But it seems from this passage that there is a corporate environment that either will help or hinder because God showed up and the anointing of God was on him and his intention was to bless them. He deliberately turned to the passage to inspire faith in them and said, let's do it. And they got offended. An environment that helps the the intentions of God be experienced in lives. That's why we say what you get saved into is more important than what you got saved out of. What you get saved into can help you create that environment. Now juxtaposed to that story, we we know from the scriptures that Jesus goes to Bethany, which is his favorite place to go. Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem. Jesus would minister in Jerusalem, but every time he could, he'd, he'd make a beeline for Bethany because his friend Lazarus, Mary and Martha lived there and he would go spend time with them and they loved him. And the first thing you read about in, in, in John, he talks about a feast was held in Jesus' honor. I love that story because it's held, the feast is held at the house of Simon the leper, the guy who used to be a leper, now healed by Jesus, is hosting a feast in his house, which a leper was never allowed to do. He hosts, the leper has the feast in his house to honour Jesus and reclining at the table next to Jesus is Nazareth, who used to be dead and Jesus raised him. And Mary, out of whom he drove seven demons, and that guy over there, he just healed him. There was a blind person there. Oh, that person was deaf. A table of miracles. Because in Bethany, the corporate environment was honor. Honor and the celebration of Jesus produce an environment that is conducive to miracles. The two people in Scripture that Jesus said, Jesus was amazed at their faith. He said, wow, that's great faith. The two people he did that with were both not Jews. They were both Gentiles. The one was a Syrophoenician woman, and and she eventually said to Jesus, listen, just a little crumb from the table is all I need from you. And the centurion said, Jesus, you don't even need to turn around. Just say it. Just say, okay, it'll be done. He said, that's all I need. I just need to hear you say it. That's all I need. Don't, don't, don't take, let me not take up another moment of your time. Don't change your direction. All you need to say is, okay, and I'm done. Jesus said, that's great faith. And the woman with the issue of blood, she said, if I could just touch his coat, I'm just gonna grab hold of it. Because when I just touch, I'm gonna get healed. What a celebrated view of Jesus. 
What an awesome, and like, wow, how amazing is Jesus? And every time you can get a group of people who have that view of Jesus, miracles are always common. But every time you get a cynical, I dare you to bless me, what have you done for me lately, group of people? They will create a theology that says miracles no longer happen because for them, that is the truth. I'm just gonna let that sink a little because that's worth listening to. There's a truth here. Let me take you to Ephesians because you need to understand this. Ephesians 2, one of the most well-quoted scriptures. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. By God's grace, he gave us life, he raised us up, he gave us an excessive, abundant, overflowing grace, is what that says in the Greek. It's not just the incredible riches of grace, that the NIV says, but it's, it's anemic, it's too, it doesn't have enough, doesn't have the same sense of the Greek. The Greek is abundant, excessive, overflowing, Niagara Falls of grace that is expressed to you in his kindness in Jesus. So anytime you come to God in Jesus, the overflowing excessive grace and kindness of God are continually stretched out in your direction. God is never gonna change his mind about that. Jesus purchased that, that was the original heart of God, sin marred that for a while. Jesus came to redeem us and purchased us back to the original intent of God, and that is the heart of God. His scepter of his kingdom is extended towards you, the abundant, overflowing grace of God and kindness that comes to you in Jesus. And if you believed in Jesus Christ and if you come in his name, that is always gonna be the place for you. Now that's extended to us. The problem is Jesus extended that to Nazareth. And their service ended with them trying to murder him. The more highly you regard Jesus, the more the excessive grace and kindness of God you will experience. Not because God has favorites, but because you've learned an administration. That is always the way God is focused on you. If you will learn to do what he's calling you, the response that's appropriate, you will experience more. A celebrated view of Jesus is important, not just for us individually, but for us corporately. The Holy Spirit is in you for you. He's on you for others, but he's among us for our community. We have to learn how to rejoice together. We have to learn how to celebrate Jesus together as a community. We have to hold up. This is why we have testimonies every week in this church. Why? Because we're trying to create a culture, an environment of the celebration of the honor and the praise of Jesus. Why? Because when we, when we live like that, he manifests power and glory in our midst. So if you understand that, that's just 
like that's the deal, right? God is extended towards you. He's never gonna change. But the way you can experience that has something to do with the way you and I choose to respond to that reality. So here's the administration that the Lord's just really put on my heart. Rejoice always. Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again because it's a safeguard to you. The instant is Paul said, to, Paul had been in Philippi and he'd been preaching, rejoice in the Lord. And so now when he writes back to them, he goes, guys, hey, 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 rejoice in the Lord. Remember, I, I, it's no problem for me to say it again. You guys got sick of the message, the sermon series, but I'm writing it again to you. You see the exclamation behind that rejoice in the Lord? It's because it's an imperative in the Greek. It's a command. It's a present active imperative. While it is right now, you are are, are commanded to rejoice in the Lord. Now Paul is writing this, by the way, from prison. And Epaphroditus, whom the Philippians sent to provide for him, is almost dead. And is just beginning to recover from death. And Paul has just finished discussing, the, uh, I'm not sure if I'm gonna die here or whether I'm gonna live, but it seems like I'm gonna live because you guys need me around, so it's probably I'm gonna live. Go, oh, well, Paul just had it cushy. No, he's writing this from jail. And there are some challenges in this church. There's persecutions from the Romans because Philippi was a Roman, the, like the height of nationalism. And so the, they were, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians were, no, he's not. Jesus is Lord. So the church was persecuted. And then there were Judaizers coming in and saying the theology's wrong. And Paul writes to them and he goes, hey, 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 rejoice in the Lord. Paul says, I'm saying this because it will keep you safe. No trouble for me to write the same thing again. It's a safeguard for you. It will keep you safe. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not writing a poem of theology. I'm talking about a practical reality for your lives. It'll keep you safe. See, Paul had demonstrated this because remember Paul went to Philippi. This is how the church started. And while he was preaching, he drove the demon out of that girl. And then the crowds, and then they stripped them naked. And then they beat them publicly. And then they put them in jail. And they told the jailer, these people are dangerous. So he put them in stocks in the worst place in the jail. Humiliated, hurt, and helpless. At midnight, they were still praising God and praying. Now, the thing about that story that freaks me out is at midnight, because I don't know about you, but the worst people in jail at midnight, are you still singing? I don't know if they would be celebrating that. This isn't theory for Paul, this is salvation, because an earthquake frees everybody, the whole jail is freed, and, and something transformative happens. That's how the church in Philippi starts. So Paul says, listen, by the way, guys, rejoice in the Lord. Let's go to Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord. Always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Let me repeat this for those who are asleep in the back. Rejoice always. 
It's not just to the Philippians that Paul wrote this. Corinthians, he said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5 is my favorite one. He says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Well, I don't know what the will of God is. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances. Now, think about this with me because this is the whole point of the sermon. If I'm supposed to rejoice always, if I'm commanded to rejoice always, then my rejoicing cannot find its source in my current set of circumstances. My rejoicing cannot take root in my mood. It cannot find nourishment in my emotional state or my energy level, my preferences or my current victories. Can I just say, as Americans, we are in the most danger of missing this scripture. Because of all the people in the world, we've had the most victories to be able to celebrate and rejoice over. This has been an easy thing for the American church to handle. Rejoice always. You go, praise God, absolutely. Why? God has blessed me. Business is going well. Family's happy. And we won the Super Bowl. You know, it's got, it's got, it's got that feeling. If, if I and you and I are going to follow this, this scriptural command to rejoice always, then I have to uproot my rejoicing from temporary things and I have to reroute them in eternal truths. Rejoice in the Lord who is eternal, immortal, unchanging, rejoicing always. So I've had to learn to rejoice always by focusing on eternal truths, not on current circumstances. I cannot just focus on current circumstances. Luke 10, the 72 return and said, Jesus, this is so exciting. We go, Jesus, and the demons go, whoa, and they scream. They go, they listen to us. And Jesus said, yeah, I gave you authority. Remember when I said, go, and I'll give you authority, trample snakes and scorpions. Yeah, of course they're gonna listen to you because remember we spoke about this. But don't rejoice because the demons are submitting to you. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Do not rejoice even over the current victories. Rejoice because of an eternal truth. Hello. Am I preaching to anyone yet? Well, Greg, you don't understand. Uh, I have problems and I have challenges and my life is not pretty. And no prayers have ever been answered and it's a tough time for me and it's horrible now. And you want me to rejoice. That's very unreasonable. It's unreasonable if your roots are sunk into your circumstances, but if your roots are sunk into eternal truth, rejoice now and rejoice always is easy. Because I'm not called to rejoice in my circumstances, I'm called to rejoice in the Lord. Always. Do you think God's, do you think, you think the apostle is going, hey guys, this is a command to you. Do you think he's doing that because he, he's trying to manipulate the church or, it's because, or as, because he said, this will be a safeguard for you. This will be an administration for you to see more of the glory and the power of God coming into your life. This will help you hold a very celebrated view of Jesus, which in turn will release the power of God into your circumstances.
Now, <clears throat> I do not even have uh, half the time I need to get through the next bunch of stuff. The, the actual reason I did these next slides was because they're gonna be in the PDF on the website. Because I said to myself, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been preparing this message. I, I was supposed to speak at, at the Mission Society, and, and I, which is something, it's a, it's a connection with Arian. I've loved, I love ministering to people who've given their hearts to Jesus and flat out. And so for the last bunch of years, we've been, it's been a great connection. But Eric called, and she said, our theme is rejoicing. I go, oh, that's very cool, because the Lord's been whispering something to me about rejoicing, always. And so um, we ministered there, and I've been ministering, and I've just... I've, I've sat with this for a couple of weeks. Okay, okay, how do I rejoice right now? And so I, I, began, to, I began to write some stuff up and I, I, I'm not gonna do them justice. I'm gonna put them up on the screen just so that you know uh, and you can, but I, I began to rejoice in the immense love of God. So there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of scriptures. I just took a few because it's like, this is, uh, everywhere in scripture. How priceless is your unfailing love because your love is better than life. You're abounding in love. You've loved with an everlasting love that his, in his love will no longer rebuke us. His unfailing love cannot be shaken. His great love means that I'm protected. His love teaches me. His love is something I rely on. That priceless and unfailing love which is better than life, abounding and everlasting, draws me to him and because of it, he no longer will ever rebuke me even though the mountains will be shaken. His unfailing love for me will be rock steady and because of his love, uh, I am not consumed by anything because he loved me that much that he sent his only son as a sacrifice of atonement to purchase me back so I rejoice in and rely on that love that God has for me. That's something worth celebrating and rejoicing in right now. And it's going to be true every single second of your life. Amen. I rejoice in his faithfulness because he's the faithful God and his faithfulness reaches to the heavens and his, his faithfulness will be a shield and a rampart and his faithfulness continues for all generations and his faithfulness is great every morning and he's an ever faithful God and he's faithful to protect us from the evil one and he's faithful to keep his promises and he's faithful to make us holy and he's faithful always to provide a way out when you're under pressure. <laughs> well, I don't have anything to rejoice over. It's because you're rooted in your current pressure. That faithfulness that continues through all generations and reaches as high as the heavens, the great faithfulness that is our shield and our defense and our ramp against attack, his never-ending faithfulness means that he always keeps his promises to us. He protects us from the evil one. He provides a way out under temptation and he always keeps us holy and he always stays with us, will never leave us. How about his finished work? Ooh, I could do this all day. As I should. What Jesus did on the cross. I can always be thankful for what Jesus did on the cross. The finished work of Jesus. When he died, he said, it is absolutely finished. It is completely completed. What I just did, it's wrapped up with a bow. 
Expiation, that Jesus removed all my sin from me, so now I am forgiven and made righteous. Propitiation, he absorbed all the wrath of God against me, and now I am favored. Redemption, he brought me back from every form of bondage I'd sold myself into, and now I am free. Justification, he declared me guilt-free, and now I am acquitted. Sanctification, he set me aside for sacred use, and now I am holy. Reconciliation, he restored me to absolute full relationship with God. Now I'm close to God. And regeneration. He gave me a brand new life and now I am born again. Well, I don't know what I should rejoice in. (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord. Because if I get a choice, I'd rather be Bethany than Nazareth. As far as I can tell, the difference is a choice. Why do we we have to get so excited during worship? I don't like that. Heaven's going to make you real nervous. So choose. I'm going to ask the worship team if they'd come up. I want to say this to you. Choose. You can choose. You can choose cynicism. That's a choice. Or you can choose celebration. You can choose to rejoice in the Lord. The reason I know you can choose is because God commanded it. And he never commands us to do something he doesn't empower us to do. You can choose, we can choose as a people, as a church, we can choose, I, as far as it depends on me, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I am gonna rejoice in my God. That's why I deliberately wanted to start the sermon early, now we're gonna do it together. And it's gonna be a party. Because if we can come together as one mind, one heart and one mind, I'm not gonna be watching you my eyes are going to be on Jesus. But if we can come together and just go, Lord, I bless your name for all your goodness and your kindness and the way you are and the profound things you've done for me and I'm just going to find my delight in the Lord. That's what David said. (laughs) David learned this 2,000 years before Paul did. David said, delight yourself in the Lord. I was reading this morning. I love you, Lord, my strength. Psalm 18. No trouble for me to say the same thing to you again. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Father, we turn our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our focus onto you. And we bless your name. We trust you, Lord, that in Jesus' name, as we make this choice now to rejoice, that among us you'd move. And I pray, Lord, that every person with any passion, any hunger, any desire, 
any dream, let your power break out among us and your beauty shine in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.
all my past and my regrets, my present and my future. Every table is a feast, every heartbeat is an altar. Every step, and every step a mystery, I'm walking with the author. So I fix my eyes upon you, I fix my eyes upon you. my eyes upon you I fix my eyes of grace of grace heaven been to meet us Father, Son and Spirit all praise all praise God and man God and man together one with us
My choice is to rejoice in the Lord always. In the coming ages, Lord, when all the skies are rolled back and all the things are revealed, we will always, among all the nations, among all times, sing the chorus of your faithfulness. The song of a thousand generations. the unfailing love, the unchanging faithfulness. Lord, I release healing in this place, physical healing for every sickness and disease. Command every infirmity to go. Pain, you must leave this place now. Break it off people in Jesus' name. Release, Lord, ligaments and shoulders and elbows. I see just, Lord, just healing that. Father, I release your healing in Jesus' name so that Jesus can be glorified. Every heart that's broken, Lord, heartbreak. Bring healing for heartbreak. For every child, Lord, for every prodigal that's away from home right now. For every child, Lord, that's in desperate situations, we cry out to you now. And Father, we just join our faith together and we release the fire of God and the power of God into their circumstances. Bring them home safely, Lord, and change them, Lord. Bring them home, Lord, on fire for God. For lack, Lord. Uh, laugh, Lord, at lack. And make it a distant memory because of the overflowing abundance of your provision. Mostly, Lord, Mostly, Lord, would you, would you draw our hearts and our minds and our focus to you? That you would be the most celebrated person in our life. You would be the apple of our eye, just as we're the apple of yours. That you would be, Lord, the, the one that my heart skips a beat to. And act. Lord, as far as it depends on me, I'm choosing to rejoice always in Jesus name Amen why don't you take your seats please